Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Well, take out your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. The the story of the the Ephesians is told in Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 20. Uh, Really interesting stories there. Paul founded the church there in Ephesus, uh, the the book of of Ephesians. A very interesting book. We're going to be looking at the beginning of it today. And five prayers uh, that Paul said for the church at Ephesus that still need to be prayed today and need to be prayed both for the church and for us as individuals. Well, a, a few years ago on my 10th anniversary at the church, uh, you all gave me and Dawn a, a, a Mediterranean cruise that went through the journeys of Paul. And so we went to, to Malta and Athens and Israel. But the place we loved the most out of all of that, including Israel, the place we loved the most was Ephesus. Just unbelievable. Uh, the entire city's there. They're still unearthing stuff and excavating all the time, but just amazing to walk through the the streets of Ephesus. And I wanted to give you a, uh, a little idea of what that was like right here. This is the great theater in Ephesus where the riot took place. Paul was saving so many people uh, that the people who were making idols uh, saw their business declining and a big riot took place. And this is the theater uh, that, w- that actually was involved in that. Uh, anybody here wearing any Nike gear? Anything Nike? Do you know in the first service, nobody was wearing anything Nike either? Nike, I mean, they need to hit the Louisville market harder or something, something like that. Well, this is the, uh, the goddess Nike uh, that was there. Uh, Ephesus, a very wealthy city, a city uh, very much in tune to idol worship. Uh, this is the main goddess of the city, uh, uh, Artemis, sometimes called Diana. Uh, as you see, she needs more than one bra uh, as, she is, as she is on there. Uh, that is there. And then Christians were heavily persecuted uh, in Ephesus. And so this was really interesting. You found markings like this throughout the streets of Ephesus. It was illegal for Christians to meet and to worship. And so wherever they were going to meet that night, they would put the ichthus, the fish there, so that people knew that was where they were going to worship. But the Roman government started figuring out what was going on. So they would put with the ichthus this circle there with with the pies in it. And that was a game that they would play. And they called it the fish game. And so people who weren't even Christians would go down and see that on the side of the street. They would would play the fish game with some rocks. And everybody thought it was just a game they were playing, uh, the fish game. But it was actually marking where they were going to worship that night. And you saw those throughout the streets of Ephesus. Tough place to minister, uh, culture completely different, values uh, against the church, hostility, a lot of what we see today. And so we're going to look into chapter 1 and talk about Paul's prayers for the church at Ephesus. It begins in verse 15 of chapter 1. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul tells the church at Ephesus, I've been continually praying for you. I pray for you all the time. And then he goes on and talks about five things he prayed for the church at Ephesus. Five things we still need to be praying for our church today and for ourselves as individuals. 
And let's see what they are. The number one thing, the first thing he prayed for them for was that they would know God better. That we would know God better. Look down to verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So the first thing he prays for them is that they may know God better. Now, we've talked about this before. Christianity is not a system of beliefs. It's not a religion. Christianity is a relationship that you have with God. It is the number one thing. So if the number one thing about our faith is a relationship with God, and that's what Jesus said, what's the most important thing in the Bible? Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as your self. Loving God, loving people. That's what it's all about. And if that's what it's all about and you want your church to be stronger, if that's what it's all about and you want your life to be better, then the number one thing that you need to be centering on is not trying to, to uh, uh, become uh, better at this or that or understand this or that more, but it's getting closer to God, having a relationship with God. That's the number one thing we need to be about. I'm praying that you may know God better, he tells them in verse 17. The better you know someone, the more you're either going to not trust them or trust them. The better you know someone, the more, uh, the more you're likely to trust them and to give yourselves over to them. The problem we have in the church today is we have a lot of people who know about God, but they don't know God. They know all God's facts and figures. They've read their Bible. They know all God's facts and figures. There are probably people out here right now that are big sports fans that I could tell you your team. You could tell me every game they played, everything that happened in every game. You could talk all about your favorite player. But just because you know all about your favorite player doesn't mean you know him personally. And there's a lot of Christians that know all about God. We know all of God's facts and all of God's figures, but we've never really entered into that relationship with him. We've never really known God. And our church isn't going to grow any stronger, and our lives aren't going to be any better if we don't center on knowing God and knowing God better. When you know someone and you trust them, you're more likely to give yourself over to them, and that's why it's so important. Several years ago when Dawn and I were in Virginia, we went to the Virginia Baptist Convention in Virginia Beach. Anybody here ever been to Virginia Beach? Okay, the Virginia Chamber of Commerce is much happier than the Nike people are right now. I I can tell you that. So we were at the Virginia Baptist Convention in Virginia Beach. Alyssa had just been born. She was just a baby. I come walking in. I'm holding Alyssa. You know, uh, we get into the convention hall there, and there's a guy there that's oddly dressed. He's dressed a little bit different. He's got really long hair down over his shoulders, older man, got, got this long flowing white beard. And he looks at me and says, you young people rest. I'll take that baby. And so I said, okay, here. And I, and I handed him Melissa. Well, Dawn like goes into a panic. What are you doing? You just handed him to that guy. You don't even know that guy. And I said, He's at the Virginia Baptist Convention. Surely no weird people are at the Virginia Baptist Convention. You know, well, what could be possibly wrong with that? So he's rocking Alyssa and singing to her. And I, I'm, you know, I'm minding my own business. After about two minutes, Dawn walks over and says, thank you very much. And takes Alyssa back and gives me a dirty look. <laughs> now, why did she feel that way? She didn't know the man Even though she knew some things about him, he looked weird and he was at the Virginia Baptist Convention, she didn't trust him. And so she took her baby back. That's exactly what happens with us and God. 
bad things happen in our life, challenges come, troubles hit us, and you don't know if you can trust God because you really don't know him. And so we don't really put our life in his hands. We try to do everything ourselves, and that's where it becomes disastrous. So the first thing we're told is if you want your church or your life better, you need to know God better. Well, how do we do that? We're told two ways in verse 17, two ways that we should strive for to know God better. Look at verse 17 again. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know God better. He lists two things there, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. Now, wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom is taking your knowledge and knowing the best thing to do with it, the best way to live, making good decisions. There's a lot of smart people in this world that you wouldn't go to if you had a problem. You go to wise people, people who know the the right decisions and the right things to make. So he says, first of all, I pray you get a spirit of wisdom, that that you have that knowledge, but then that that you you understand uh, what's going on around you and you can make good decisions. What's that got to do with God? You ever had something happen in your life and you said that was just a God thing? Uh, Have you ever been reading scripture and said, God's really speaking to me here. God's really doing that. That spirit of wisdom. He says, know God better through your wisdom, through through what you're learning, what you're doing, through the decisions that you're making. See God as a part of all of your life. Everything that's going on in your life, begin to trust it and put that over to God. Try to see what's the godly thing, the right thing to do, the best thing to do. Know God through that wisdom. And the more you do that, the more you place in his hands, the more you're going to see he's trustworthy and you can trust him. The second thing he says, though, is not just wisdom, but also turn uh, to God through revelation. I'm going to know God better through my wisdom. I'm going to know God better through revelation. There will be times in your life that you just feel God speaking to you. That you think, you know, I read that scripture and it just jumped off the page at me. I've seen that scripture a million times, but today, man, it just really hit me hard. God's revealing himself to me. There will be times in your life that things happen that you just know God is there and God is speaking and God is revealing. So he says, through this wisdom and revelation, my prayer is that you would know God better. So that's the first prayer for the church, that they would know God better. The second prayer he has for the church is that the church would have hope. That the church would have hope. Keep reading down to verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And so the second thing that he prays for is that they would know the hope to which they have been called. And he says that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Again, he's going beyond the mental here. It's one thing to know something in your head. It's another to know it in your heart and then to act upon it. That's what he wants them to know about the hope. Every Christian knows the the party line. God's with you. God loves you. When you have troubles, turn to him. Though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, he walks through it with you. We all know the party line. The problem is it's not just head knowledge that counts. It's is that in your heart? Do you have a hope that goes beyond your head and has made it into your heart, therefore you act upon it? It's one thing just to believe something in your head. It's another thing to have it in your heart and really have the hope that is there. And that's what he's talking about, that you have the hope in Christ, that you know that God is with you, God loves you, God is going to sustain you, help you through anything that comes upon you in life. His second prayer is that you may have hope. And we live in a world today that's so drastically needs hope. A world that seems to be falling apart on every level all around us, and we need that hope that is in God. 
Now, he says that hope is based on two things, and these are also part of his prayer. He said, again, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope of which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So the first thing he says we should have hope in is that that we have a glorious inheritance, that this world is not all that there is, that there's a better world than this to come. So no matter what your problem may be, no matter how tough your problem may be or overwhelming it may be, even if your problem kills you and takes your life, he says you have a glorious inheritance that goes beyond anything this world could ever imagine. That if if your problems kill you, he raises you from the dead. He takes you to heaven, a place of no more hurt, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more cares, that we have a glorious inheritance. So we should be much bolder and much more aggressive and much more confident with our troubles and problems that seem to overwhelm us because we know we have a glorious inheritance. And so we can go forward with a confidence in that hope that most people don't normally have. He then goes on and does another part of that prayer. Not only is there a glorious inheritance, look at verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is evoked not only in the present age, but in the one to come. So he says, all right, have hope. Hope that you have this glorious inheritance. But he says, also have hope that you have God's great power. Why does the church do so wimpy things when we have the power of God? What kind of power do we have as a church? The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This is his prayer for the church in Ephesus. He's trying to get them to know, I want you to understand that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is available to you. So why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you more aggressive? Why aren't you doing God things? Churches do people things, and people aren't impressed with people things. We work hard, we give our money, we do this, we do that. We say we can't do this because we don't have the resources. We do people things. And when we do people things, the world looks at us and they say this, that's a hard-working church. God doesn't want people to look at your church and say, that's a hard-working church. He wants people to look at your church and say, that's a mighty God. And there's a big difference between hardworking and mighty. Think about a single story in the Bible where God did this. Well, how many people do you have? How much money is there? Who's really interested? You know, I wanted to do this, but I just don't think we have the resources right now. Let's wait on that. Tell me a story in the Bible where God said that. Every story in the Bible is just the opposite. Stories in the Bible are like this. Gideon shows up with an army that's half the size of the army he's going to fight. And God says, you've got too many people. Send them home. And so half the people leave. If you're afraid of getting killed, leave. Half of them leave. God says, you still got too many people. And they are too many. We're outnumbered like 10 to 1 now. And God says, that's too many. Send, you know, uh, according to how they drink the water, that's who I'm going to choose. And then they just get a few hundred people. And God says, let's see, a few hundred against several thousand. Yeah, the odds seem about right. We're going to attack them and win tomorrow. And they did. That's not the way you would have planned it. What did Moses say? Lord, our back is against the sea. An Egyptian army, uh, the most powerful army on earth, is charging down the hill to kill us. What should we do? And God says, go forward. 
And Moses said, one problem, Lord. There's an ocean there. God says, no problem, move forward. And Moses said, makes no sense. Okay, move forward. Enjoy your day at the beach and the waters part. God's not interested in your resources. He's interested in your willingness. And if you are willing, God will do great things. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. What kind of power is that? Verse 21, it is above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Every name that is invoked in this age and every age to come. That's the power the church has. So our question should be, what's God's will? What does God want? What is God doing? And how can we be a part of it? Those are the things we need to be talking about in the church. That's what we need to be looking at and striving for. So we have a glorious inheritance and we have mighty power. That brings us to a fourth thing that he prays for the church. That we would recognize that Jesus is the head of the church and all things. Look down at verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet. He appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Christ is the head of everything for the church. We've already did a sermon on this. It's not your church. It's his church. It's not what we want. It's what he wants. We're about his, his mission, his work, his will. That's what the church is about. Whenever the church gets bogged down into what we want and in what we're doing away from God's mission, that's when we run into trouble. It's his church, and we need to be about following him. And it's not just the church, though. This is one of the main things for your life. If you want to get your life in the right order, the first thing you need to do is to put God in control of your life. As long as you try to hold on and make your decisions and do it yourself, you're always going to be frustrated and come up short. So until you get to the point of saying, Lord, I'm out of this picture. I want you. I want you in charge. I'm going to follow you and do it your way. That's when things begin to change. Most people don't do that for a very simple reason. We're afraid of letting go and losing control. We want to be in charge. There has to come a point in your life where you say this, I'm sorry, I'm not in control. If you're not now, wait long and you'll figure it out. Uh, You'll get sick. A loved one will get sick. You'll have troubles. You'll be downsized at your job. There'll be a relationship that falls apart that you had nothing to do with but can't repair. And you'll pretty soon begin to understand you're not in control. And when you understand you're not in control, no matter how hard you try, and you let God be in control, that's when things begin to change. He is the head over all things. And that brings us to the last prayer that Paul has for the church at Ephesus, and that is that we would be his body, his fullness in all that we do. Look at verse 23. So he ends up by saying he is the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I believe in God, but I don't need the church. I hear that all the time. That's one of the common mantras in today's society. I don't need the church. I'm a Christian off by myself. Well, if that's the case, then you've never read the Bible and you don't understand what it's trying to say. On the day you were born, God loved you and sent Jesus to die for you. On the day you were saved, you became a part of God's family. You had no choice in the matter. You couldn't say, no, I don't want that family. You became a part of God's family, like it or not. 
But not only did you become a part of God's family, God gifted you in his family. He gave you gifts and abilities that are unique to you. Just like every fingerprint is unique, your gifts and abilities and insights are unique to you. Now, here's the thing. When you take this diverse group of people together and you put us all together, we become the fullness of Christ. None of us are the fullness of Christ on our own. None of us are like Jesus on our own. We're not even close. But put us all together, and what does the Scripture say? The church is the fullness of Christ. Read it again. Verse 22, he placed all things under his feet. He appointed him head over everything for the church. The church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So he talks about the church as being a body. Maybe you're a finger or a kneecap or, or an arm or an ear. By yourself, you are useless. Let's say you're the thumb of the church, but you don't need the church. Are you, all you are then is a thumb without a hand on the ground. You're useless. It's only when you join yourself to the body and fulfill your purpose as a thumb does, does everything begin to fit into place and the church then becomes the fullness of Christ when everybody is doing their job and doing what they're supposed to do. And if there's anything lacking in the fullness of Christ, God will bring it in. The last church I pastored, Pleasant Grove in, in Mount Washington, uh, out in Bullock County, um, we had a Wednesday night meal and a really good cook. Well, this cook, you won't believe what she did. She retired and moved to Florida. I mean, what kind of dedication is that to the church? You know, retired and moved to Florida. So suddenly we didn't have a cook. Now, in a small country place like that, guess what? That's a big deal. We don't have somebody to cook our Wednesday night meal. So that was the number one thing at prayer meeting. Usually the number one thing at prayer meeting was somebody's dog was sick. But this week, the number one thing at prayer meeting was that we didn't have a cook. And so we're like, we're like praying like we've never prayed for somebody that was sick or, or going to hell. We were praying, Lord, we need a cook. Lord, rain a cook down upon us. Well, that next Sunday morning, just three days later, somebody comes down the church, down the aisle. First Sunday they've ever been at church, never been there before. They come down the aisle, they say, I want to join the church. And I said, man, great. And so in front of the church, I'm talking to them. I said, so where are you from? They said, well, I just moved into town. I just got a new job. And I said, what do you do? He said, well, I'm, I was, I've been a chef at Red Lobster, but I'm now the manager at the Red Lobster here on Hirschburn and Louisville. And I said, well, wouldn't it be nice if you had Wednesdays off and could cook our church meal? And everybody went, yeah, that'd be nice. He goes, I do have Wednesdays off. I would love to cook your church meal. I had red lobster cheddar biscuits for the next two years I was at that church every Wednesday night. Because if there is something lacking in the fullness of Christ, he will provide it. Amen. 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 That's how it works. The church is the fullness of Christ when you do what you were supposed to be doing in conjunction with what everybody else is supposed to be doing. That's when the church really grows and succeeds. So what have we seen this morning? Paul had five prayers for the church that we would know him better, that we would have a hope, a hope that comes from our glorious inheritance in heaven and from his mighty power, that we would recognize that he's in charge and that he's the head, and that we would do our part 
to be his fullness upon this earth. Anybody here watched the World Cup any? Yeah, some of you are. Yeah, a few of you had. Oh, sorry about Brazil there. They, that was, oh, well, but, but ne, uh, Neymar had a great, great uh, dive there. That was really interesting. Anyway, I, we'll, we'll talk later, okay? You, uh, you are still out there, aren't you? All right. So if you watched any of, the, any of the World Cup, you may have seen that in the quarterfinals, uh, Belgium beat Japan 3-2. to two. Japan was up 2 to nothing at the end of the game. Now, if you don't follow soccer much, it's not a game where you score 100 points, you know. And at the end of the game, Belgium scored three goals to win 3-2. to two. The Japanese were just, they were stunned. They, they were depressed. Everybody was sad. Fans were crying. Very, very tough time. Now, before we go any further, anybody see what happened when England won yesterday against Sweden? English fans, they won the game. And they charged into an Ikea and tore it up. An Ikea in England. English fans charged in and tore it up. Shouldn't you tear it up when you lose, not when you win? I, I mean, that's what it would seem like to me. But, but regardless. So that's how English fans reacted. When they won, they tore up an Ikea. Japanese fans, when they lost 3-2 to two in a game they thought they had won, did this. They began to go through the stadium, and they cleared up all the trash in the stadium because they said, we don't just represent ourselves here, we're representing the whole country of Japan. Then the custodians went in to clean up the locker room. The Japanese team that had been devastated in the 3-2 loss, this is what they found in the Japanese locker room. It was not only cleaned of their junk, they had washed and whacked and everything was spotless when the people came in to clean. They said it was the cleanest it had been even before or after they had cleaned it before. Now, why did they do that? Because they said, it's not us, we're representing Japan. You're the fullness of Christ. People need to look at you and your life and see how it reflects on Jesus. And when that's the way you're trying to live, I want to be a good reflection of the God who has saved me and loved me and made me a part of his family. I want to be his child. You know, we call ourselves Christians. Do you even know where that term came from? The church at Antioch. They begin to use it as a derisive term towards the church. They're a bunch of little Christs, a bunch of people trying to be little Jesus running around. Wouldn't that be great if that's what people thought of the church today? A bunch of people going around trying to be like Jesus. It would change the whole world. That's our prayer for the church. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you love us so much. We look at these prayers of Paul and the church at Ephesus, and Father, we need these things as well. Help us in our life to to live it at a way that shows we represent you. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to our time of invitation, and maybe for some of you, there's a lot going on in your life. And we've talked about the fact that I don't care what it is, you've got God's power, you've got his inheritance glorious inheritance and maybe you want to come pray at this altar or pray with some ministers that'll be here you can come and say i want to join this church and be a part of what this church is doing in this area in this community and around the world but the most important thing you could ever do is to come down the aisle and say i want jesus christ in my life and i want to follow him as lord and savior but this is your time and your opportunity continue to be in prayer for our our uh youth uh houston team uh, they'll be arriving in Houston anytime right now. I uh, pray they have a great week there. 
continue to pray for Frank Jones and his family. We'll give you more information on the funeral uh, that is there as well. Let's close with a prayer if we could. Father, uh, we see Paul's prayer for the churches and then we see how we pray. We pray prayers like, Lord, be with my church. Paul had very specific things he was praying for. Help us, Lord, to, in wisdom and revelation, seek to know you better, knowing that what we do makes all the difference in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word. Thank you.